You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. It's almost time for Spain and Fitz. We weren't, we're going to start tonight with a little bit of a pre-party, have a little fun before the show. You want to stick around. Got a lot we're going to get into over the course of tonight, but in the spirit of some exclusive content that you can only get here on the podcast, Sarah, I thought we should talk about, you know, adult things like cartoons. Uh, Nickelodeon particularly <laughs> is in the news because uh, the NFL is going to do a wild card broadcast that simulcasts on Nickelodeon, and they're going to give it a real Nickelodeon theme. I, for one, am all in on this concept because anytime that they can bring the game to a broader audience in a bigger age range and a more diverse group, I think it's great. So I think it's fun that they're willing to have a little fun, even at their the sake of their own broadcast, to have some fun with Nickelodeon. Well, it's not going to hurt their broadcast because it's a whole separate broadcast. So it's like when we have simulcasts with different groups of people analyzing games. They'll have a totally special slime-filled telecast separate from the wild card game. And unfortunately, if maybe you're a parent who's like a diehard football fan and you really want to watch the real game, this might not be cool for you. But I think for the most part, parents will think it's awesome if they want to watch the game and their kids tend to hijack the television that they can get a little bit of both. Because based on the trailer I saw, I am not a child, although I am a child at heart, and I do not have children, and I still am, like, drawn to this. The googly eyes that they put on the players and the slime trails on the kicks and everything else, I don't know if that's how the game will actually look. It feels like that would be difficult to do in real time as opposed to editing afterwards, but maybe with filters or something they could do that. It just seems really fun and like a like something you'd watch maybe after you watch since it's a wild card game you want to watch it probably for real but then after the fact watch some of the fun other stuff unless you have kids and then it's just a great way to introduce them to the game so was nickelodeon like a big deal for you i mean just growing up or even more recently like are you into nickelodeon i was super into nickelodeon as a kid but i have not watched it in Forever and ever and ever. Like, I've never seen an episode of SpongeBob. Um, wow. Yeah. And, like, any of the recent, like, I just talked about this on Around the Horn today. I did my FaceTime on how excited I am for this simulcast or this separate telecast. And uh, I think Clinton Yates said his all time favorite Nickelodeon show is like The Secret Life of Alex Mack. Is that what it's called? Um, never seen that either. Like, anything that came. Later, I didn't see. I was into it when I was a true child, and I watched Double Dare, and you can't do that on television, um, and the real old school, um, Clarissa Explains It All, I think, was yeah. originally yeah, yeah. a Nick show, although was that- I think, I don't- I, I remember the remember show. I remember if that was- That might have been on regular television, and then like Nick pulled it later in reruns. Um, wherever that was, I remember I watched Clarissa Explains All like with my dad because we used to make fun of how much my dad liked that show and liked uh, the other show with the witches uh, and had the chick from Party of Five. Damn, what's that show called? Is that Sabrina? Uh, Charmed. Oh, Charmed. Charmed. Oh, Charmed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember that Like one. We were like, why does my dad like all these shows that are for teenage Um, But yeah, like anything anything in the later or current years of Nickelodeon, I haven't seen a darn thing. And I, I, I'm curious whether people think, you know, even at my advanced age, if starting SpongeBob now is worthwhile. Okay, I will tell you uh, that, yes. And by the way, Clarissa Explains It All was a Nick show. I looked it up. 
Okay. So, uh, yes, I think SpongeBob. Now, full full disclosure here. You know, when Sonny and I first moved in together, we redid the entire bathroom in SpongeBob. Like, that's how much SpongeBob we were watching wait, at that wait, time. Wait, 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 yeah. wait, wait. When you moved in with your wife, so this is when you were an adult human being. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, did the whole thing. Like, it is a very. It's actually not surprising coming uh, yeah. from you. <laughs> I am a, a, a child, but like. It was a bathroom right across the hallway from the closet full of mannequins. Well, that, no, that, at that point it was upstairs. Okay, let's. let's okay, I'm not, I'm not sure a total get that savage. Right. Uh, <laughs> no, but it was the same bathroom that later we had a friend pretend they were dead in every year for the Halloween. Perfect. Uh, it's it's yeah, great. Of course. Uh, but no, I mean, SpongeBob was like sort of a morning tradition. We get up, make breakfast, and watch SpongeBob. Like it just sort of became that thing. And the funny thing is, even though we're only like four years apart, that four years is a big four years because I'm with you. I grew up watching sort of the You Can't Do That on Television and the Double Dare stuff. I loved it. Uh, she grew up more in the era of like Rugrats and, you know, Rocco's okay. modern, Rocco's modern. Modern life and and love that, but like now I still love Fairly Odd Parents, which is the Nick show. So like I feel like uh, I'm just a, a child, but also SpongeBob right. is just adult enough that if you watch it, you get it all. So like that's why I think. Well, it's and I felt like fun. that when I briefly did a deep. Uh, it wasn't that deep of a dive. It was like a, a a shallow dive into SpongeBob because of the whole halftime show thing, where it it came into my world and the Super Bowl halftime was connecting to SpongeBob. And I was like, oh, my gosh, like now this is something that like I really feel like a dumbass for not having watched because it appears to be a big enough reference that even the Super Bowl halftime is relating itself to it. So, um, yeah. And and then like I didn't get into Doug and everybody loved Doug. Yeah, Doug was good. Um, I I never got into Hey Arnold. Uh, I did have a friend that I worked with in L.A. that slept with either Drake or Josh. Oh, I can't remember which one. And I never watched it. But I remember at the time he was he was legal, but like still pretty young, like significantly <laughs> younger than she was. And I was like, OK, that's weird that you slept with Drake and or Josh. I think they're supposed to play children on the show that they're on. So like they skew young, whether or not they're actually old enough. They look young. This is weird. Uh, well, uh, and so yeah, you that and I whole are, stretch never saw. You and I are both SNL fans. And just a reminder, I mean, Keenan and Kel. Yeah, I never watched like, all that. I mean, I never watched all that. I never watched Keenan and Kel. I think I had a very limited. First of all, I think we've discussed this before. I didn't watch a ton of TV growing up. I watched TV like a normal kid, but um, I was super busy. And so I didn't sit around and watch a lot. And I usually would watch stuff with my parents. So once I was old enough and probably was still too young, I think I've said before, my parents just kind of gave up and let me watch, you know, Best of Eddie Murphy, SNL and Delirious and things at a way too young of an age. Uh, coming to America, I would quote all the time in inappropriate places like school or with other people's parents, including all the swears. Um, so I just started watching shows with them. So I would instead be watching like L.A. Law and Moonlighting and like adult shows when probably most people were in an age when they were still sticking with the kid stuff. Yeah, we're not dissimilar in that. I think for me, my discovery of most of these cartoons came later in life like when i when i reach like tour bus age i'm like oh yeah i'm gonna go watch this now uh it is that makes sense though lots of time to kill and like you watch it on your computer or something and and then the other part of it is like nick at night it's always funny to me how different again sunny and i being four years apart like 
when I grew up as a kid, like Nick at Night was going to be like the, the the flubber sort of stuff, like the old the Dick Van Dyke show. It was all black right, and white right. shows, right? Black and white. Yeah, and then she when she thinks Nick at Night, she thinks Fresh Prince of Bel Air. So like no it's way. amazing. Yeah, like it was on Nick at Night for her, and I'm like, wow. that is so weird for a four year difference to be that. It is. Yeah, it's, it's just uh, I'm four years different from my husband, and it is funny the things where I'm like, oh my god, college, and he's like, no way. That's like when I was you know bought my first place or be like oh junior high and it's when he was in high school oh so yeah the number it's, of it's times weird how that four years at that age is such a big deal and then you get older and it's all the same sonny's like i remember a first dance to that and i'm like i remember much more than a first dance then, yeah exactly that song. Woo! all Ooh, right did you ever watch salute your shorts no no okay salute your shorts was the jam uh it was set at a camp and uh i don't remember anything else about it but that i watched it like religiously after school Wow, salute your shorts. I never I never heard of it. I will check it out though. It has an IMD rate B rating of eight point two out of ten. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. See, I didn't mess around with the shit. I watched Double Dare, which is a classic. Double Dare's a classic, yeah. Which is better than guts. I don't care what anyone says. And I watched Salute Your Shorts, and you can't do that on television, which by the way, Alanis Morissette was on. So well, and you, know. you can't do that on television felt like a more grown up sort of show yeah. for kids. Like I, I definitely I'm with you on all of that. Okay, so obviously uh one other thing I wanted to get into. Let's just let's just, you know, throw it out. While there. we're talking about your wife. While we're talking about Sonny. Uh she's <laughs> we were as, just talking about this before the show, and I was like, is this an intervention situation or something that we should be proud of? So I, I'm glad you're bringing this up. Yeah, so, you know, you've mentioned on air a couple of times, like, my wife has a lot of social media accounts. And I say my wife because I don't even know how to log into any of them. Like, I I, I am not a fan of social media, as anybody that gets to know me for very long figures out, like, I grew up intensely private. Uh, that's always sort of been my way. So it's really difficult for me to, to go out into the cesspool of social media most of the time. So I'm just not like, I don't like me in pictures. Yeah, me so, too. Like, I'm, Very. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like if, I didn't, for, if I didn't have to have it for work, I would not have a single social media account. Like, and I'd be that's very, very happy. That's kind of wild to me. Yeah, well, you know, it's, it's like. I usually associate that more with introverts, but you're not introverted. Yeah, that, oh, I just. You're just private. I, I am, yeah. Like, I, you know, it, it's. It's sort of weird for me. And Sunny's the opposite. Like, Sunny wants everything to be, like, she's a performer through and through. So she wants to Uh always perform, which is why I feel like we have 753 social accounts. But now she found uh, found TikTok, which has been for her a delight. Like, she had to close her business down for 2020. And so she found TikTok and she's really poor. And the business, for those who didn't know, is a really cool store full of amazing, you know, headbands and hair pieces and hats and fun stuff. In fact, I think I have both socks from her and a fascinator for my Christmas party that I've worn every year since I got it that which, lights up and is beautiful. Which is amazing. Yeah. And like, and that's been a real creative outlet. And thank you, by the way. Uh, you know, she that's been so huge for her. But this year she didn't have it. And so she's just been pouring different sort of her emotion into different things, which is part of why the Halloween display went even bigger and the Christmas display went even bigger and more interactive. Like, she's just pouring her energy in. But now she's pouring it in to TikTok where she's doing these little videos. Every day she opens all of these different advent calendars. And I mean all, I think she's got eight of them. She opens these eight (laughs) different advent calendars. So she does a video where she opens them all. And then later in the day, she does a video reviewing everything she got in the advent for that day, which is fun for me to watch, but I cannot wrap my head around any of, like, just the, the... the process of putting it together, I, I can't imagine it. Well, I have really enjoyed them, but I am teetering on the edge of intervention versus celebration. Because on the one hand, I'm like, get it, girl. Like, you got 
you know, three different pieces of cheese, two things full of wine, makeup, uh, some sort of elf display with little pieces that come out every day, dog treats. I mean, these things run the gamut. And I happen to love advent calendars. I have always usually a chocolate one. And then this year I got a dog advent calendar where uh, the 12 days of Christmas are counted down with treats for my dogs, obviously, as one does. Right. Uh, but I, I've never held myself to like, if I open the door, that means I need to have it. Whereas you have told me <laughs> that Sonny will consume all of the things each day, which means two bottles of wine, three pieces of cheese. Oh yeah, like she's and she's the chocolate. Yeah, getting after it every day. I don't. I that might be something where you can just gently tell her, like, eh, just put it on the counter and, I mean, and figure out when you when you need it or want it. <laughs> you know what? I'm not going to even try that. Like, no, no. <laughs> I, I, I will tell you this, like, uh, you know, no surprise to anyone. I, I got the Advents also, a couple of the Advents also. I got a cheese one. I got a chocolate one. Uh, and, you know, for me. Where are your videos, uh, man? Yeah. Number one, never going to happen. Number two, um, <laughs> like, for me, I'm not. I'm just not wired to get up and be like, all right, I got to open these. Like, the number of times I've looked over, because this is a particularly busy time for all of us, I've looked over and been like, oh, I'm three days behind on the Advent, so I'm going to, you know, I'm going to yank three pieces of chocolate right now. But the one that I definitely got my ass kicked by I got this advent calendar and I read it as a liqueur advent. So I was like, oh, this is going to be great. And then I realized I can't read. It's a liquor advent. And so like day one, I opened it and it was fireball. And I was like, okay, no worries. Yeah. I'm going to shoot the fireball. I'll be fine. Yeah. I'm a big boy. Day two, I opened it. It was Everclear. I haven't opened it since. I'm like, screw it. I'm out. Like, I'm, no, I'm not going to have like a massive shot. of. And I've even got it in the garage because it's Connecticut, which means it's so cold that it stays cold. And I'm still like, no, I'm, I'm afraid of what's behind the 3rd of December. So I haven't even opened it. Yeah. For those who don't know, uh, liquor is just any kind of distilled alcoholic beverage. Liqueur is usually like sweet and Cream something that based, you mix yeah, with. Yeah. Like oftentimes you don't, you can drink some liqueur straight, but usually it's something that you mix with something else. Um, and it, it makes it, it, you know, flavored better or, or sweeter or differently. Um, so yeah, if, if it was liqueurs, you probably also wouldn't shoot them, but you would make like a little cocktail or something, which right. you could still do with your liquor. Uh, yeah, the, the problem is... You don't have is, to just ignore the advent calendar. That's insulting. I mean, it's a little... A, I was really expecting, you know, 25 days of Baileys, essentially. And instead, I've gotten <laughs> 25... Why don't you just buy a bottle uh, of Baileys? Well, I, who says I don't have... I mean, <laughs> the Baileys, the, the peppermint Baileys sits next to the peppermint rum chata that sits nice, next to the peppermint nice. vodka that sits next to the peppermint wow. schnapps. Get a hold of your life. Maybe you're <laughs> the one who needs an intervention. <laughs> that is, that is, uh, uh, you got to get it, screwball. Screwball whiskey tastes like peanut butter. Oh, see, I need that in my life. Put I, it I, in hot cocoa. Peanut butter it's, and hot cocoa sounds delightful. Yeah, it's magical. It's like a Reese's peanut butter cup and a drink? Yeah. Oh, my God. Like, And I, then drop one of those hot chocolate bombs. Have you seen those? Oh, my God. Yeah, well. Uh, it's uh, a ball of chocolate, and then once it gets hot, it splits open, and all the hot cocoa powder and marshmallows fall out into your drink. What could possibly be better than a peanut butter chocolate cocoa with a ball that splits open and spills marshmallows into it? So I'm just going to take the rest of the week off and figure I was this out. Do we just... have to do a show now? <laughs> Oh man! I'm, I'll be right back. Give me five minutes. I'll come back. I promise I won't be drinking anything. I mean, it is yeah, it's perfect. You know, I'm glad I'm doing <laughs> the show from Bristol tonight. Otherwise, there wouldn't be a, a chance in hell that I'd actually stay sober through the whole thing. Now that we've had this conversation, can it, you do it, me a favor? Yes. And I know you never drank the gravy. 
that you promised you would on Thanksgiving. Remember, I actually didn't make the gravy. I, I, I didn't. Go ahead. Yes. Wow. Your favorite side dish that isn't a side dish and you didn't even have any. You're such gravy. a fraud. I didn't make the gravy. I didn't you make are, the gravy. You have been a fraud more times I didn't than make I the, could possibly You know why I didn't make the gravy? Like I, because I'm, I'm, I'm in full bachelor mode at this point. I feel like uh-huh. I, my, my life is like spiraled out of control. Yeah, I went yeah. to the grocery store thinking I could get a small turkey the day before. Turns out that's not easy to do in Connecticut. In Nashville, that's wow, not hard to do. In what Connecticut, a it is. A man so, had to do something for himself, and then he realized that women have to plan ahead to make yeah. lives as lovely and wonderful as we do. I, I had, I had it takes ham. a lot of work. I had ham because there were like 472 <laughs> tiny hams there, and I was like, okay, I can make it like a, a brown butter, brown sugar glaze. This is like this. when my husband like very sweetly tries to plan something fun for us to do and sends it to me. And he did this recently where he's like, let's go to this drive-in movie. It's uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. I'm like, oh, my God, amazing. He's like, all right, let's do it. You know, see if you can get off work or, like, get off early so we can make it in town. I'm, like, all excited about it. And then I, of course, click one page more, and it's everyone is sold out for the entire season. I'm like, babe, like, don't send me shit unless you see if we can actually go. You're just getting my spirits up. Kind of like you being like, turkey? Yeah, I'll just get that an hour before I want to cook it. I, what I do mean, I do? Put it in the microwave? Toaster? How do I cook this? I am a hell of a cook. I'm not a hell of a planner. I will say that. <laughs> and I learned that. And by the way, I learned a long time ago, like, what I do now is I just send a text. It's like, hey, this looks like fun. If you're into it, make reservations. Like, yeah, that's you, it. Do, you like, handle it. That, that's, yeah. that's it. That's the Wait, extent so of my, my plan. What I was going to say about you not drinking the gravy, despite promising that you would send me a video of you drinking the gravy is can you at least do me the favor of maintaining enough Christmas spirit that you open up those windows every day and just put the liquor on a shelf? That's a, I mean, I have like three at bars in the house, open. so yes, you're right. Yeah, I should. like I should. open the door, take a look at the liquor, think to yourself, wow, I don't want that right now, and then put it on a shelf for later. Don't just leave your advent calendar unopened. Like that hurts my heart and my Christmas spirit. And by the way, while we were having this conversation, I got a text from my wife. And it is literally a tour bus that is like a, a genuine music tour bus that is stopped outside of our house just <gasps> to check out the display. Like it is. What? It Find is out who alarming. it is. Yeah, I know. That's what I'm going to ask. I like this, this is what, you know, so that, that, that's. If it's I'm, someone famous, tell her to have them call in, <laughs> do a quick <laughs> yeah. check in, I'm, ask I'm, them what they think of your display. I, I just text her, are they famous? I need to know now. <laughs> Immediately. <laughs> Oh, this is my Is it life. anyone I knew or opened for that I could yeah. convince to come on the show immediately? Oh, that is uh, that is spectacular work. All right. That's they have swag on the bus. Well, yeah. Well, I just want to get him to call in. The only way you'll know if we figured out who's who's in front of my lawn and whether or not they're famous enough to call into the show is to listen to Spain and Fitz, which is coming at you right now. That's right. This is Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the podcast version. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. The biggest question of the NBA offseason has now officially been answered. And that noise you hear is the entire city of Milwaukee taking a collective sigh of relief. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests join us on the Shell Pennzoil Performance Line, and you can be a part of Spain and Fitz Nation on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed, ESPN Nation, presented by Dr. Pepper. The college football season is heating up, and so is your favorite Dr. Pepper-loving college football town, Fansville. Head to a store near you to treat your inner college football fan to an ice-cold 20-ounce Dr. Pepper today. And, uh, 
uh, look, it's Tuesday, and that means we've got a lot that we're going to get into, not the least of which will be the college football rankings. We'll have to get there. And, of course, we will get into Giannis. But first, I want to make sure everybody's got an update on an important college basketball story. Keontae Johnson, remember, from Florida, uh, collapsed on the court a couple of nights ago. We now have an update on him. The quote, Keontae is in stable condition today, breathing on his own and speaking with us and with his doctors here at UF Health. He even FaceTimed the team. We feel so much love and support from everyone, and we're beyond grateful for the care and attention that Keontae has received throughout these past several days. An important note as we get the updates on what's going on with him, and we will keep you updated as we get more. In the meantime, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin, I'm Jason Fitz. We're a three-headed monster because it's Tuesday, and uh, y'all, the big story uh, starts with Giannis Antetokounmpo. And Sarah, we talked about it all summer. That In my mind, the Bucks were, they had the, the fear of irrelevance. If they couldn't keep Giannis, they would become worse than bad. They become irrelevant as a franchise. Now, five years, $228 million Supermax extension is signed. The deal is done, and everybody in Milwaukee can relax. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to say I told you so, but I pretty much told everyone so. Uh, as people tried to read into every comment and him not having signed yet, I think he followed up on what we expected. He is prioritized basketball. He's prioritized loyalty, uh, supporting his family. And I think he's a guy who wants to win and finish his business in Milwaukee. Now, in five years, he'll be 31 years old. He can go somewhere else. If it doesn't work out here, he can leave before the five years is up. We've seen that plenty in the NBA lately, right? Player empowerment taking a spin sometimes in a, in a way that might not be best for markets. But in this case, this is great for Milwaukee, and it's great for the league to have a small market team be able to do enough to keep a superstar and to try to win that way. And it's been a little while. Like Most of the examples you're going to look at of homegrown talent and, and teams winning without a two-headed or three-headed monster are a couple years back. Um, but there is a possibility that the style that they play and they fix some things in their postseason, they can be an example of not needing to pair up superstars in big markets in order to get the win. And I would love to see that. And I would love that for Giannis and for Milwaukee uh, because it is disheartening sometimes to think, oh, the only way to win is to talk your way out of a contract like Anthony Davis, join up with LeBron on his third team, add a bunch of pieces that want to go there in free agency because they're willing to take a pay cut for a championship, and everybody else is trying to compete the old-fashioned way. You do have to modernize, but but I would like to see it not have to be that drastic. Yeah, and Courtney, it feels like to that point, I mean, if, if you're a free agent and you've worried about where Giannis was going to end up and do you want to sign in Milwaukee because you don't know if he's going to be there, like that question's answered. So do you feel better about the Bucks today? I do. I actually, my mind, of course, I went five minutes past Giannis, like reading all this stuff, being like, huh, what's James Harden have to say about this? Because he, <laughs> clearly he's going to add the Bucks to his list of potential suitors of please trade me away from Houston. And of course, the Athletic is reporting that is indeed the case. So no surprise there whatsoever. But, you know, I think what this does for me, and when we talk about parity, and when we talk about, I guess, more of a competitive balance in the NBA, like I'm thrilled honestly I think this is great long term for the Lakers like I try to find out more than just like what this means for the Milwaukee Bucks that you don't have to be a team that wins a championship with three of the best players on the same team like I think it honestly worked out okay and what Milwaukee has right now is a really nice core around Giannis and I think the Drew Holiday extension's got to be next but if you can manage to continue to build around him 
a championship caliber team around him, then you're going to have something that's sustainable for several years. And it wasn't him having to up and leave and go to Miami or go anywhere else. He can do it in the place where he wants to be the guy, not somebody who joins on somebody else's team, which James Harden uh, sounds like that's what he wants to do now. Um, I, I think it's a great move. And I, and I think like Sarah said, like this kind of felt inevitable the whole time, like in doing some research here, it sounds like Giannis's people and, and everybody representing him, like the first focus was winning. And the Bucks got the Bucks were a seventy win team before COVID. So they have the pieces in place and they have even better pieces in place now. They were doing all of this to set this up to happen, going back to the holiday um, you know, acquisition a little bit ago and then everything else. So I think they're in a great spot and I honestly feel really good about the Eastern Conference. Well the and- question go ahead, sir. I was just going to say quickly, one other thing to note is that perhaps that little delay from Giannis actually hamstrung other teams who were clearing out cap space in the hopes that he would decide not to and that they were going to leave their future open to the opportunity to be able to try to appeal to him to come to their teams. Uh, You know, it wasn't like the situation with LeBron where, you know, the heat got down to one player on the roster, but there were teams making moves in anticipation of trying to sell Giannis on on coming to them. And so that little bit of hesitation may have even helped the Bucks' chances. Well, one thing that we're all going to have eyes on now is how does the East play out? And to that end, Malika Andrews, ESPN NBA reporter, was on SportsCenter this afternoon and talked about this move and what it says about what the Bucks' intent is right now with Giannis. This is the team that drafted him. This is the team that validated that he was going to be able to have a home in the NBA, the team that gave him an avenue to be able to provide for his family. But in this specific offseason, really the, the headliner trade was getting Drew Holiday in Milwaukee. That meant shipping out Eric Bledsoe. That meant shipping out George Hill and a couple of picks. But what that did was upgrade them on both ends of the floor. They felt that they landed a really solid defense another passing option, another option to set up people on the floor to take some focus off of Kumbo. And then after that, they rounded out the roster with some depth, with a lot of minimum signings in their bench. They attempted to trade for Bogdan Bogdanovich. That fell through. That left a question mark. And now Giannis has put an end to any questions that maybe folks had about whether or not he felt that these were the moves they needed to make. It doesn't, though, put an end to the question about how the East is going to play out, guys, because uh, let's be real here. In my mind, this was the cost of relevance because $228 million is going to keep everybody talking about the Bucks. But realistically, the expectation is that the Bucks will be, at best, the second best team in the East, right? The expectation is that Brooklyn's going to come out and be better than the Bucks. They have better stars. So, you know, they paid all this money, but I'm not sure that, in my mind, it suddenly makes them a championship team. Sarah, there's still got to be other pieces at it. Yeah, the, the Courtney's point. This is a seventy-win team, you know, before before COVID hit and before the the bubble, and for whatever reason, that hasn't translated to the same success in the postseason. Some of that is on Giannis. He is amazing and still needs to be better. But a lot of it is also how things change in postseason series. Is it Budenholzer? Right? Is that the guy that's actually going to lead them to a title? What needs to change for this team? in postseason series, so it goes from being congrats you won the regular season to congrats you actually made it to the finals, won a title, and made all this worthwhile. I'm glad that we're getting a chance for them to spend a couple more years on that because this becomes a free agent destination now. If you know Giannis is locked up for five years, you can have a good idea that you're joining a team that's got a really high 
trajectory. And that's going to help them grab those extra pieces that they're probably going to need, especially with the team like the Lakers that look like they're kind of in a tier of their own. But you're right. $228 million for the Supermax is a huge step for Giannis and for the Bucks to at least have some idea of what they're going to look like for the next several years. All right, coming up, we'll get uh, we'll get some reaction into what is already, to me, an incredibly surprising playoff rankings. The committee has spoken. I have no idea what the hell they're thinking. And we'll look back on a wild <laughs> Monday night. We'll do it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. You know what's at the buffet table or the individual meals that they're eating in the college football playoff, but... There's got to be something in there that's making these guys happy because they are making strange decisions, and we'll tell you about it. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance, and all of our guests join us on the show, Penzo Performance Line. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, Courtney Cronin joining us in, uh, joining us in tonight's show. And uh, guys, the committee has spoken, and well, there's a little bit of a surprise here, and that surprise comes in the sense of Florida. Like, we knew that Florida lost to LSU. Uh, obviously, I expected some sort of ramification for that, but a loss to an unranked LSU team that this year is particularly bad, Courtney, resulted in a one-spot fall for Florida. They go down one spot for losing to LSU. What do, what do you think? That was embarrassing. Like, I don't know what this committee's doing with all these two lost teams, and I don't know, just because they're in the SEC, does that truly mean more? I don't know. I think it's kind of, I think these are probably the worst rankings that we've seen, because there's no way to justify both of those schools and who they've played, and especially with Florida, losing to an unranked LSU team, really by a lot of fault of their own, if you consider, if you're looking at style points and how they lost that game and just how ugly that was at the end with the field goal, um, yeah, I am not I am not impressed with that at all. And I just think that it's been a hard year for this committee. We know that. It's an unprecedented year where you don't have a level playing field in terms of schedules and games and opponents and, and who's playing and who's not and all these cancellations, whatever. There's no reason that these two teams should be top 10 teams and Cincinnati is where it is right now. Well, and Sarah, I think that's what's driving me crazy. I mean, at some <laughs> point, the, the committee is it like... I want to believe that the college football committee is a group of the brightest minds anywhere. The problem is this year, because there is no standardized metric that everybody can be judged on, it becomes all about the eye test. And the eye test lets you justify whatever you want. So you can lose two games and somebody else still say, yeah, but you know what? I think they're the one of the better teams just because. And that's what it feels like we're being fed this week. I've said all along that they actually have the easiest job ever this year because the metrics by which they decide are so jumbled across the landscape that they just have to say, I test, gut test, liked how this guy looked, didn't like how this team looked. Like, right. But I will say in this case, and it's just hit, right? These are these are the brand new rankings. Everyone's reacting right off the bat. Maybe somebody will be able to come up with some excuse. But thus far, I haven't seen a single person believe that this was a solid set of rankings that could be defended. It, it, Nicole Auerbach, who's one of, one of the best out there, every tweet she's had in reaction has been, how are you going to move that with the losses? How are you going to move down without any, with you know, still undefeated? And she said, this selection committee is putting together the worst sets of rankings we've seen. Well, um, and that's the thing is I haven't seen a single person be able to spin. And we're going to have Pete Futak coming on. Maybe he'll be able to tell us what they're thinking. 
But thus far, it feels like most people can't get in their heads at all on this week. Yeah, the top four unchanged. It is still Alabama 1, uh, Notre Dame 2, Clemson 3, Ohio State sits at 4. Then you have Texas A&M sitting at 5 still with only one loss, but that's a blowout loss, and they won't get a chance for a conference championship game. So that usually most years would put them out of the conversation. The confusion comes next where Iowa State moves up to 6, Florida moves to 7, and somehow, even though Cincinnati's undefeated, they drop down to 8. So uh, surprising rankings for me. Uh, in that process of, of seeing sort of what the committee is valuing and what the committee isn't valuing. I can't figure it out. They did also move Oklahoma up, which is only going to give more leverage for the Big 12 championship game between Oklahoma and Iowa State to matter more. So it, it's uh, it's concerning, at least, if you're a college football fan, to try and figure out the mindset on it. As you mentioned, I wonder if we start to get cynical. Does that make it easier to understand what's going on? Like, if you dive into, does this make the other co- conference championships more interesting? Does it drive matchups we're going to see this weekend and make them more meaningful like you know what i mean if you start thinking in terms of dollars instead of cents Mm. s-e-n-s-e do do you then see where they're going with it i mean that's usually the best way to try to figure out what people are thinking when it comes to college football well and a lot of times i've said i think the committee just can they convince themselves certain teams are really good so then they're going to build up their opponents to justify their own argument Mm -hmm. and it feels like we're seeing a little of that. All right, like you mentioned, uh, we'll get back to it. Pete Futak going to join us in just a few minutes, about 10 minutes from now. We'll get some more reaction on the college football playoff rankings. But let's get to some straight talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. And that comes in the form of what we saw last night on Monday Night Football with what everyone is now calling the game of the year in the NFL. And uh, some controversy around Lamar Jackson and why he may or may not have left the field. Who knows? Like, There's, there's a lot of curious questions. Courtney, did you see anything in that game that changed your mind about these teams? Yes and no. Um, I mean, the the Ravens are still on the outside looking in at the playoff picture right now. Like, that's the obvious thing. And, yes, their schedule down the stretch is, is very winnable, but they are not currently in this thing at all. The seventh seed belongs to Miami at this moment. Do I think they get in the playoffs? Yes. Am I convinced they can win a playoff game? I'm not so sure. Lamar is not, I mean, the injury stuff, all those questions, the whole thing, that can go out the window. That's my biggest takeaway from yesterday. But – Considering they barely won that game in the first place and it was a back-and-forth affair all night, yes, it's two good teams, and you're going to run into, like, let's say they do get the seventh seed, you're going to run into Pittsburgh, who has a really good defense. Um, How is that going to play out? Because we saw what happened last year in the playoffs. Do they have a different formula? I'm not so sure. Is Lamar Jackson going to have to throw 51 passes and complete 31 of them and, and run for, you know, 143 yards and, and barely be able to scrape by, that's not going to work. It didn't work against the Titans last year in the second round of the playoffs. It's not going to work against Pittsburgh if that is indeed who they play. But I was really impressed with Lamar last night, not just, you know, all of the the, the, the video we're going to remember forever of him coming out, you know, miraculously out of the locker room, you know, shimmying his way onto the field, but just showing and putting behind everything else that the injury stuff is is not a question for me anymore. Sarah, I like, hey, both things can be true, by the way. Like, maybe he got an IV and he took care of some business all at the same time. Like, it, it maybe <laughs> maybe it all makes sense. Did you Does learn? it work like that? Yeah, well, I mean, can you get an IV while you're taking care of? Mm-hmm. Listen, I bet if you Google it, you can find out you can do a lot of things well. Can I right, do that I'm on a work computer? No, I wouldn't. For a okay. I wouldn't recommend it. Okay. Um, so a couple things that I took away from this. One is this was a huge win for ESPN, Monday Night Football, and for the league. Because in a weird year, 
we get that signature game. And it not only was incredible to watch, but it took over social media. It spawned some memes, lots of poop jokes. Um, and, and it was a game where both teams win. Yeah, the Browns technically got the loss, but I feel better about them as a team. This was a second straight performance from Baker Mayfield that you could really hang your hat on. There were still some mistakes. There were incredible stats that came out of that game, including a scoregami where we've never before seen a 42-47 game. But the Browns also had seven fumbles. None of them were recovered. But they fumbled seven times in that game. Uh, both of those defenses allowed scoring drives in the waning moments back and forth where I guess they were just gassed. But you're looking at it and we're so excited about the offenses driving down the field. I think that last drive from the Browns was like 75 yards in 40 seconds or something, four plays. I mean, it was wild, the back and forth. Uh, but big, big game for the Ravens because to Courtney's point, if they had lost that, their percentage likelihood of going to the playoffs would have been 37%. And instead, now it's at 88 now you've got three teams from that division that could all make it, right? Um, which is which is crazy because right now the, the, the Browns are still in a position. They have a tougher road because they have to face the Steelers. Like you mentioned, the Ravens have an easy schedule going forward. Um, but I, you, Fitz, you know week in and week out, I've been down on the Ravens. They just haven't had it this year. But that was the Lamar of MVP season, and that changes everything. Yeah, I don't disagree with anything you just said. I, I, one thing that really surprised me. we got to clip those off, guys. <laughs> I think you know it sort of hit me though. It looked like it looked like Cleveland had no idea what to expect from the Ravens, and I'm sitting there thinking, how? I mean, this is a divisional opponent you play all the time. Like, why do you look so surprised by the way they're running the ball and by oh, the Fitz, way they're go utilizing try to get in a meeting and, and see how you would try to figure out Lamar Jackson? Okay, it's I'm not, not a play. I'm not it's saying not a play. It's like, hey, some space, figure it out. I, I'm not <laughs> saying that I could figure it out. I am saying that I would think a division rival wouldn't look so surprised about yeah. what, the way they're running when when. You know, frankly, as you're watching, you're thinking, yeah, this is what Lamar does. The Browns' defense was awful in this game. And, you know, that's the biggest takeaway to me from all of it was not just the good of the the Ravens because it was very good, but also how tragically awful that Browns' defense was. They're going to have to play much better down the stretch, even though they do have an easy schedule left. Uh, they're still going to have to get one of the two games against New York teams. They'll get the they they have the Steelers game, but if they win either the game against the Giants or or the Jets, they can't they can't lose both of those. So that's really what it's going to come down to. That's some straight talk, straight talk wireless, no contracts, no compromises. We'll keep breaking it down, obviously, but. Ton of news around the college football landscape as the rankings have been released. The playoff committee has spoken. We'll continue the conversation on the rankings with one of our favorite experts next, Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. And as always, hanging out with you on the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. So week after week, we've been on the air during the college football playoff rankings release. And with a couple little exceptions further down the rankings, people have sort of said, yeah, that checks out. That makes sense. Not today. The Menchies are blowing up with people who are absolutely confused. Some even just saying, why look at the games at all if you're just going to decide the teams you like and then keep ranking them based on deciding at the beginning of the season where you thought they'd end up? Uh, To get some clarification on why people are so frustrated, we're bringing in an expert. Spain and Fitz. Fitz is out of here. He's reacting elsewhere. Courtney Cronin in uh, for him uh, tonight on Spain and Fitz. ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Uh, Pete Futag of collegefootballnews.com joins us pretty much every Tuesday. Pete, help us figure this out. What do you think is the most egregious of the rankings in this latest uh, set? What's happening? I, I, let me guess that the people are most angry out there. They're yelling at you about USC would be the one that I'm probably guessing the people are most mad about. 
but I, the most egregious, and it's been the most egregious in the entire rankings process in every poll, including the college football playoff rankings, you can't put Iowa State number six. Because, look, Louisiana, Coastal Carolina, and Arkansas State, the Sun Belt went 3-0 and against the Big 12. Louisiana beat Iowa State 31-14. to Doubled them up. Yeah. Iowa and it's their only loss is to Coastal Carolina and Iowa State beat Oklahoma. So if you're going based by what happened on the field, which is I, it was the big argument is why you know the results have to matter. If you're going by what happened, you got to go Coastal Carolina, Louisiana, Iowa State, Oklahoma in that order. And Iowa State being number six, they're not going to get in even if they blow out Oklahoma. But when you lose to Louisiana at home and you lose to Oklahoma State, and you're up there, Georgia's playing better, Florida's better, USC's playing better. Like, it just, that one's kind of the egregious one. And the USC thing, I'm guessing people are mad about, because if you're taking any argument against USC, you kind of got to apply it to Ohio State. And I heard, I was watching the show uh, on ESPN there, and Jesse Palmer said, well, you know, everyone's losing in the Pac-12. Well, what's the deal with the Big Ten? Everyone stinks there, too. So you're right. So it's kind of like, all right, well, we kind of like Ohio State, so we're just going to kind of stick them in there. I'm going to let Sarah get into the Florida stuff because I want to stick on that USC point because they're behind Coastal Carolina. Indiana is a 6-1 and one team. Oklahoma, two-loss team. Cincinnati, obviously undefeated. But then two-loss teams in Georgia and Florida. That's three two-loss teams. Why is there no respect for the Pac-12 in this process? It's hard. They just had not one. There's just not another great team there. It really hurt that Oregon and Washington both stumbled. It's actually been the most fun of all the Pac-12 teams here. For everyone out there freaking out, here's here's a little fun fact for you. I just came up with before I came on here. In the first six years of the college football playoff rankings, in these as they call them, the penultimate rankings, they've only had the four teams that were actually in once. Every other year, there's been some team from outside the top four. The last two years, it's been Oklahoma, who was ranked sixth. Uh, Ohio State was ranked eighth one year. The most famous one was the first one, where TCU was ranked number three in the next-to-last rankings. Blew the doors off of Iowa State. I believe it was 42-3, to three, and got dropped to six in the final ones for Ohio State. So just remember that it's really all about college or the conference championships, and to me, if you're a USC, the one hope for USC is first, they got to come out and just obliterate Oregon. They can't just beat them, you know, 38, 35 or so. They have to just do something flashy and just, just crush them. And then they need Notre Dame to beat Clemson. Because if that happens, you have to assume that Ohio State's going to beat Northwestern, Alabama's going to beat Florida. All of a sudden, for the first time in the college football playoff history, we will have four teams that are unbeaten Power 5 champions, and there's going to be someone in that room in Grapevine, Texas that's going to be like, you know what? Our mission statement from the start is we're going to value Power 5 conference championships the most. Maybe we need to just move USC up a little bit here. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain. Courtney Cronin with you tonight. College football playoff unveils its final rankings Sunday noon Eastern on ESPN. Tonight's causing a lot of, uh, of consternation. Pete, you know more than just about anybody about this, and everyone can find Pete's work at collegefootballnews.com. Are there some sort of insidious ways that I haven't even thought of that the current rankings make sense? Am I not thinking of it through the lens of money? 
or the lens of content creation or making and aggrandizing these conference championship games? Like, is there something we're missing here? Because this is the first week where it truly feels like nobody can wrap their mind around what went into these decisions. Okay. The only way I can say this is understand that they are trying to do their absolute best on each spot. So they really go through a process where they have to argue each and every ranking. So they had to sit there and start with arguing over the 25. And they said they came to a consensus and said, Colorado's there. Then they came to a consensus at San Jose's 24 and on from there. So at the very least, there, there's at least an argument in that among all of them for each spot. The, it's nothing like that when it comes to that. The, the problem with this whole thing is the sport's based on a panel of judges. And you can't play your way in. And we're talking, it's fun fodder and it's great content for me and all that. But it stinks that you're Ohio State or you're USC or you're Cincinnati and you don't know what you have to do. And it's the only sport where you can't just play your way into it. You say, okay, if we win our, all our games, we're going to get into a playoff. Well, nope, not really. And that's always been the argument for the group of five conferences. Now, where this does get a little quirky is what happens if, let's say, the big thing that's rumored happening right now is that the ACC and SEC aren't really that hot on putting a team into the Rose Bowl, which is one of the college football playoff semifinals, because they want mom and dad to be able to go and and watch the games. You can't do that there. Well, what happens if USC gets in and all of a sudden they kind of get in the Rose Bowl somehow? Then there's going to be a little bit of a, yeah, you know what, the playoff might want, might have wanted them in, but that's really not how they do it. it it's, it's really as up and up as you can possibly get. So if you're mad at them for the rankings, that's because they probably screwed something up in your eyes as opposed to thinking anything else. Hey, Pete, I know that Cincinnati hasn't played in about a month, a couple weeks, and I don't know if that's clearly hurting them here, just the lack of you know exposure and all of that, but they're down at number nine at the, after they were just number seven two weeks ago. How much of this do you think is the fact that they haven't beaten a top 25 team in spite of their record and all that? Um, but they've looked really good when they're on the field. If you're talking about style points and all these things that the committee's considering, they've won every game by 14 or more until they, um, you know, were had a three point win on the road at UCF on November 21st. Yeah. It's kind of thing. If you want to look pretty, hang out with ugly people. Well, if you want to look good, play in a conference where you're not playing anybody. And that's kind of the problem where they, it, they look great, but the American athletic conference is just sort of, eh, and their one win is over a UCF team. It's got a great brand name, but it's not really that good. You just can't. It's not fair. It's not fair to Cincinnati. It's not fair to these other teams. But if you don't have any wins over Power Five teams, it's not fair to say Texas A&M to say, you know what, Texas A&M, you have one loss, and your one loss is at Alabama. And if you're saying Alabama is the be-all, end-all number one, and that's your one loss, and you re- and you ran through the rest of the SEC. And meanwhile, we're giving love to, you know, Cincinnati and Coastal Carolina. Like, they just played a whole SEC schedule here. And so that's – you kind of have to give a little bit more respect to that. And then if you're Coastal Carolina, you're like, wait a minute here. I know Kansas is kind of a free space, but that is a Power 5 program. You did beat on the road, and you beat BYU, and you beat Louisiana, who's ranked, and you're 11th and Cincinnati's 9th. It's like – Okay, what else we got to do here? So I, that's they're not secure now in that New Year's Six spot automatically for Cincinnati unless they look great against Tulsa this weekend. It's Spain and Fitz, Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz with me, Sarah Spain on ESPN Radio. Pete Futak of CollegeFootballNews.com with us. Before we let you go, I am seeing people 
uh, argue that we would be better off back with the computers. And I remember, I'm old enough yeah. to remember, Pete, the days when people complained <laughs> about the computers and said everything would be fixed with human beings. Uh, yeah. I, which way do you fall on that and argue uh, for that? I, here's my, my plan has always been, and it's, it's, it's the easiest fix. Remember, the only reason we went from that to a college football playoff is they didn't change anything. Remember, these are all bowl people who run this, and they didn't want to mess up the bowl season. So really all they did is they just designated one game into a college football playoff game and kept the infrastructure the same. So if you could figure out how to do that, the easiest way to do this without a massive disruption, make it six. If you were to turn this yes. into like a six-team tournament, mm-hmm. and because right now you have no advantage to being the number two seed. You know, number two and three are the same thing. So you take the top two seeds, they're in, and then the next four have to play, and then you go to the college football playoff at normal, and you say, look, Power Five Conference champions, you're in. Top group of five champion in. And look, this weekend becomes kind of a quarterfinal game where, look, when you're, if you can't win your conference championship, why do you deserve to win the national championship and go from there and have a little mix of the, the two of player way in and a little human element maybe to judge it a little bit. Yeah, I think we still have the arguments about who almost made it in and whether they deserved it, but at least it opens it up so that it's not quite as clear that it'll be mostly based on power. One last really quick thing on that thought is that there's no such thing as a chief college football playoff champion. This is not like the NCAA tournament. You can't be a Cinderella and get hot and get in for three weeks and win a national championship. These four teams, however you want to put them, are going to be killers because you're going to have to beat an Alabama. You're going to have to beat a Clemson or an Ohio State or a Texas A&M. That's a that's a real champion there. So however it pans out, maybe you didn't get in, but there's nothing cheap about the college football playoff national champion. I like that plan, Pete. I nominate you commissioner uh, of Czar. I want to be a czar. I I want something a little more. Czar. Czar Pete Futak. Thanks for the time. Uh, Anytime. You too. Have a good one. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Quoting home insurance just got easier with Progressive's Home Quote Explorer. Quote and buy all online at Progressive.com. Coming up, Sam Darnold wants to stay with the Jets. Jerry Jones wants Mike McCarthy to stick around. And Courtney needs some tips for a solo Christmas. We'll cram it all in next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Courtney Cronin is hanging out with me. Sarah Spain here on Spain and Fitz. Fitz is off doing his college football playoff reactions with Gojo. It's ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're brought to you by Shell V-Power Nitro Plus Premium Gasoline. Lots to get to tonight. We'll get back to Giannis, a little bit more college football playoff talk, uh, but a little NFL here. And I heard this quote from Sam Darnold, and, and Courtney, I want you to try to convince me that he's being honest and then also answer my question, which is, why? Here's Sam Darnold. Do you want to be back here with the Jets next year and and – or do you think maybe sometimes a change of scenery might help? No, I love it here. I love the people around here. I love living here. So, you know, I've always said it. I want to be a Jet for life. Uh, but again, you know, that decision is not necessarily up to me. So, um, but that's how I feel. Okay. Jet for life. Why? He sounded super convincing. I yeah. don't know about you. Like, I could totally tell by not even seeing his body language that he really meant that. Um, I don't know if he checked, but this team's 0-13. <laughs> They're on their way to 0-16. The coach is trash. The coach is awful, has broken him as a quarterback, and I'm a little freaked out, Sarah, right now. Like, what if they somehow keep Adam Gase around? Because they had every chance to fire him up until this point, but they got rid of Greg Williams. Like, you would assume that Adam Gase is going to be gone eventually, but this is the franchise that brought you in, and this is the franchise that has, to this point, ruined you. Like, in spite <laughs> of how well he played... At the end of last season, 
you cannot tell me that this guy has not regressed throughout the 2020 year. And I mean, yes, there's been injuries and all of that, but think about his performance on Sunday against the Seahawks. 14 to 26, 132 yards, ho-hum. And he nearly had three interceptions. If the Seahawks receivers didn't drop all three that they had, then we're talking probably a very different story about Sam Darnold here. But to think that you're still actually the guy, the franchise quarterback that they brought you in to be, I mean, to me, that ship has sailed. It's been three years, and the best availability is availability, and you haven't had that on top of all the other things you haven't had in New York. So I just don't see anything but a change of scenery being the best thing for this guy. Yeah, the only thing I can think is that he kind of sees the writing on the wall with uh, Trevor Lawrence, and he wants to come across as a good team player and a guy that you're going to want on your team uh, because he's going to be looking for a new home, uh, and they're going to need to trade him. Or he could end up in a Josh Rosen situation and be not in a good spot. Yeah, he could end up being a backup, and maybe he's just trying to speak into existence some sort of positive outlook on a terrible situation, to be honest. Uh, I heard this as well. Jerry Jones, Cowboys head coach, following up to Stephen Jones' comments from yesterday. Jerry was on 105.3 The Fan reiterating uh, that McCarthy will return next season. Not one time, not one time have I been in any discussion, had any dream, been sitting by myself, have I give a, given a thought to anything but Mike McCarthy being our coach next year and being our coach in the future. How in the hell something like that could get going with a conversation with Steven or anybody else about whether McCarthy's going to be the coach or not is uh, ridiculous. I actually agree with this. I don't know that it's ridiculous, but there's only one rookie coach this year with a winning record. McCarthy comes in, Dak gets hurt, they don't have a regular offseason or regular training camp. Everything's different because of COVID. To me, it feels like, yeah, he hasn't done a good job. And yeah, there's been moments to criticize, but I don't think it would help this team to start all over again next year. I think you have to give him at least one more year and a more normal year at that to prove himself. Well, I mean, I think the first mistake was hiring Mike McCarthy in the first place. Right. I mean, the guy lost games when he had Aaron Rodgers as his quarterback. Like, figure it out. Um, but to your point... This is not Jerry Jones's mo. Like it went in 1989, that was Jimmy Johnson's first season. They went one and 15. And that was also Jones's first season as he owned uh, as an owner and a general manager. Um, eventually, what happens? They go to on to win two Super Bowls. So maybe that's his way of letting history positively repeat itself by giving a little bit of leeway. I'm not a huge fan either of when coaches get axed after their first year. We saw it in Arizona a few years ago. That was a really bad look. Um, and this is a situation, too, where Jerry is, like, throughout his time as the owner of this franchise, he's repeatedly stuck with guys early on. I mean, how many years did he give Jason Garrett before he finally right. had to pull the plug? Like, I, I agree with that. I, I agree with that, but one season is quite different from someone overstaying their welcome. Well, sure, but it's one season. Like you said, there's so many factors that were out of their control, but he hired his friend Mike Nolan to run this defense, and this defense looks awful. Yeah. So, I mean, no, I I'm not agreeing with the hire. And... I'm not agreeing with any of the decision-making. To me, I just think you can get yourself in a real pickle continuing to just start fresh every year. And, and I think the way that this season has gone down, it's really hard to get a great look at exactly what McCarthy had to work with and time to teach everyone a new system and everything else. I mean, not only Dak, but then the backup gets COVID in Dalton. So now you're going the backup of the backup. I just... It's kind of a mess, and Total I don't know. Mess. 
McCarthy won a Super Bowl at one point. Maybe he just deserves a little bit more than one mess of a season. Maybe. Um, I think, too, that you have to wonder, what's Dak going to look like when he comes back? Like, if this happens again For next sure. year and it's because Dak's going through the rehab process of learning how to, like, walk on that ankle and play on that ankle again, do we give McCarthy the same excuse of, well, he just got Dak back, he's rehabbing, he might need a year or two? Like, when do the excuses become totally. too much? Like that's yeah. just where my head goes with it. But I mean, they're embarrassing. They're four and they're four and nine right now, last place in the NFC East. Um, a lot of it's not in their control. Some of it was, but I I am always in the camp of don't fire somebody after the first year. You need at least you know two years at minimum before you can truly judge in any job really uh, if you like it, if you're good at it, if you've made progress, anything like that. It's Spain and Fitz, Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz. Uh, yeah, I'm with you. It's the, it's the hesitant kind of, okay, this makes sense, but this, this could be just prolonging the disaster uh, down there for Dallas. Uh, wanted to quickly ask our uh, folks out there uh, on Spain and Fitz Nation, at Sarah Spain, at Courtney R. Cronin, at Spain and Fitz. Uh, Courtney, you may be spending your Christmas solo, so I want to get some crowdsourced ideas for you. Um, maybe this is the things you always wanted to do, but your family is not into. Uh, and so normally on Christmas, you're sitting around hanging out with them, but you'd rather be doing X or Y. Maybe it's just ways to be festive and keep Christmas spirits up even when solo. Maybe it's ways to virtually celebrate with others. Whatever tips you have for Courtney Cronin on the solo Christmas front, uh, we need those from you. Uh, Courtney, do you have any plans if it ends up being a solo Christmas for you? I've got a game to cover that day. The Vikings play a random Friday afternoon game against the Saints, so that's my Christmas. Really? Okay, so even if you do that game, you might still see family a couple days after? I'm not entirely sure yet. I just know that that's like a 325 game that takes up my whole day. Um, I know that I've got radio that weekend, so I mean, it's weird to me that this is already next week and I literally have no idea what I'm doing. All right, you need some help then, and we're going to get it. We're going to get it from everybody. Uh, It's going to be probably weird, some of it, but they're going to try their best to help you out. Uh, Coming up, we're going to get some reaction from Miliwake, a town that is celebrating the big news of Giannis staying put today from someone who's right there in Milwaukee. It's next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Tuesday, and an especially happy Tuesday for my friends up north in Wisconsin, it's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz on ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're progressive, uh, presented by Progressive Insurance. Guests join us on the Shell Penzo performance. And we'll get back to college football playoff. But the big news of the day, Giannis Antetokounmpo signing a super max to stick around in a little place up north called Milwaukee. Milwaukee has certainly had its share of visitors. The French missionaries and explorers were coming here as early as the late 1600s to trade with the Native Americans. In fact, isn't Milwaukee an Indian name? Yes, Pete, it is. Actually, it's pronounced Miliwake, which is Algonquin for the good land. I was not aware of that. Let's go to Miliwake. Jen Latta is there. She hosts a radio show there in addition to all the wonderful things she does for National ESPN Lada, explain to us exactly what you were doing the moment the news of Giannis's signing hit Miliwake. Um, that's a great question, Sarah. I was actually hosting a Q&A panel with all of the presidents of the Green Bay Packers, 
the Milwaukee Brewers, the Milwaukee Bucks, and the Milwaukee Admirals. <laughs> and my husband, like, flagged me down as though he were, like, landing a 747 at O'Hare Airport <laughs> through the glass of my window. Nice assist. And he started making this gesture like he wanted me to get the check, right? Like, I was a waitress at a restaurant, and I needed to bring him the bill. And since I'm not great at charades, I had no idea what he was talking about. Uh, so he proceeded to text me saying, Giannis is signing, and since I had Peter Fagan, president of the Milwaukee Bucks, on my Zoom panel, I had to shut it down and say, I'm sorry, guys, we have some breaking news here, and I feel like maybe we have the guy to respond to it. And, of course, Peter Fagan um, did, in fact, respond to it, you know, obviously just reiterating what an incredible day it is for the organization, what an incredible day it is for the state. You know, you talk about things like the local economy, right, the ripple effect of somebody like Giannis signing a Supermax deal in Milwaukee. It just it goes so far beyond what he does on the court. Would you say then that this is the biggest day, at least modern era-wise, of the NBA in franchise history, just given you know the implications that a superstar doesn't need to go to Miami or Los Angeles or even Dallas to win? He can stay in a place, a small market like Milwaukee, and they've got a great roster that they're building around him. Absolutely. I think that's huge. You know, we always talk about how when a player gets drafted, you know, you don't really get to decide where you're going to be drafted, unless your name is Eli Manning, in which case that's a whole other story, and apparently you can dictate where you get to go. (laughs) But when a player is typically drafted, they land where they land, and sometimes they love where they are, and sometimes they don't. And Giannis um, has always felt this kinship, this sense of loyalty to the people in Milwaukee. You know, John Hammond, who I believe is with the Orlando Magic now, not getting nearly enough of the credit today for signing Giannis, you know, back when he was a teenager and seeing the potential in him. I don't even know if he would have ever thought that he could be what he is now. But just, you know, taking that leap of faith and seeing raw talent in a kid um, and just saying, you know, I think we can build something around him. And I think that while loyalty is obviously really important to Giannis, and he has talked about how he loves Milwaukee and is loyal to the people who have believed in him and have put him in a position to succeed, I think Milwaukee has done itself some favors as well. It wasn't that long ago, guys, that when you were trying to lure free agents to the team, you would have to drive them over to the practice facility, which was in a church, just off the lakefront. Now, lakefront property is great, but they practice in a church basement, you guys. And, like, the Bucks facility was the Bradley Center, which was a hockey arena. You know, these are the types of things that free agents look around and go, yeah, cool, I'm going to go sign with Miami, or I'm going to go out to California. And so now the Bucks have a state-of-the-art facility in the Pfizer Forum. They've got a huge deer district around there. There's just an investment by the city and by the owners to really make the Milwaukee Bucks a priority. You know, they no longer practice at a church. They practice at a state-of-the-art facility right across the street. And I think those type of amenities, along with Giannis's commitment, really do make Milwaukee a destination, especially for guys who are looking to join a championship-caliber team. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin. We're talking to ESPN Milwaukee's Jen Latta. Jen, one of the best parts of being in local radio is you really have your finger on the pulse of what's going on locally. How concerned did fans seem to be about whether this deal would get signed and he would stick around? It's interesting because I feel like fans have, for the most part, been confident because the relationship between the Bucks front office and Giannis has always been very bromance. 
Like it just has always been. And Giannis has said profusely how much he loves Milwaukee and appreciates what the front office has done for him and the investment they've made in him. But when he spoke on December 9th and was not willing to say, yes, I am, you know, check yes or no on the box on the Valentine when we were all kids, he was not willing to check yes on that day. There was a portion of the fan base that got nervous. They were like, well, what is he waiting for? Like, I thought, I thought we were in this thing. We talked about it on our radio show back in the day when Facebook had the options of what your relationship was, and it was single or in a relationship, and it was, it's complicated. It was almost as though Giannis checked the it's complicated box, right? And that was just the chaos starter back in the day when your significant other would check the it's complicated box. So I think that's <laughs> what fans were feeling last week. You know, it turns out after reading some of the articles of how it all went down, it took a few more days. But look, if you take a step back, even the most dedicated fan would say, this is a, an enormous decision, right? Where you're going to be for the next five years, the prime of your career, raising a family, you know, in the, in the landscape of the NBA, you can understand why somebody would take their due diligence making an enormous decision like this. So, Jen, I'm looking at just what their cap situation looks like from 2020 to 2021. And beyond that, the roster's getting expensive. I think, I guess, at least a logical thing after trading for Drew Holiday is that you have all that you, you traded all this draft capital. Um, you're going to give him an extension, right? But then beyond that, they've already committed nearly $150 million in 2021-22 to that payroll. Um, how... In keeping Giannis here, and obviously they want to build a you know a core around him to win a championship. How do they get it done? And you know what should we be expecting outside of Drew Holiday as like the next big move in order for them to bring other pieces in? Yeah, I think, and I have to go based on the fact that Giannis did sign the supermax. That he's confident in what the Bucks have done this year to make them a contender right now. Because you're right. Some of these pieces are, in addition to Giannis, extraordinarily expensive. But I think that the core around him is really good. They're going to have to hope that there are ring chasers and guys who look at Milwaukee and say, ooh, they got Giannis, ooh, they got Middleton, ooh, they got Holiday. These are some pieces that could do some things on both ends of the court, right? We always look at Giannis as like the MVP, but he was the defensive player of the year as well. And Drew Holiday is a great defender also. So you're looking at a team that looks very complete. They're going to have to fill it out with guys who are going to take, you know, vet minimums or close to the minimums and guys who are just interested in being on a championship contender in order to fill out that back half of the roster. I think that's probably the biggest concern. And you know what, Courtney, when you look at how the Bucks operated last year, especially during the regular season, they really relied heavily on their bench players. And one of the biggest things, if you know, we're looking forward that this team will have to do There's a huge spotlight right now on Coach Budenholzer. Mike Budenholzer needs to prove to the brass, and I think they obviously had some, you know, conversations this offseason about how he evolves as a head coach and how he uses that bench and how he uses the guys who are the playmakers and who are the guys who are going to be out there differently in the postseason. What's going to be fascinating is how the Bucs fan base reacts right now to how they perform out of the gate. Because, you know, this is a short offseason. You know, this team, as they continue to collect pieces, has really only practiced together like half a dozen times, you know, and now we're seeing them out on the court in the in the preseason. So I just would advise people to, like, stay patient with this team as well. you got new players. They're all adjusting to each other. They're still gelling. It's going to take time for it to work itself out. 
But I think in the end, the Bucks brass is very confident that they have the pieces in place, even up against that cap that you mentioned, and even up against the salaries that you mentioned, that this is a championship caliber team. Jen, you're such a pro. You led me into my question about Budenholzer without even taking a breath. Uh, awesome stuff. Thank you so much for the insight. Uh, and congrats on breaking the news to the president. That's very cool. A story you'll be able to tell for <laughs> well, quite some time. I appreciate you guys. I'm going to continue listening. I'm driving my butt down to South Bend right now to cover okay. Notre Dame for the college right. football playoffs this week. So I'll have ESPN Radio on the dial for the next few hours. <laughs> Jen Latta, never not working. That's the tagline. Hey, Jen, thanks for the time. See you guys. Jen Latta from ESPN Milwaukee and all sorts of other places at ESPN on the Shell Penzo Performance Line. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive's Home Quote Explorer is changing the way you buy home insurance. Now you can go online, get a custom quote, and save both time and money. Learn more at Progressive.com. Coming up, Kyrie Speaks. We'll get to that, and we'll catch you up on the college football rankings, too. It's next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. This show is too short. We have two hours, and we're supposed to get to people calling... Uh, what might just be a bad angle on James Harden, but I think is a couple extra holiday LBs, uh, thick Ross or Harden arteries, or Kendrick Perkins has never been thinner, don't know what you're talking about. Uh, We can't get to that. We don't have time to get to Courtney Cronin saying that Die Hard is not a Christmas movie. Uh, You just said it, so. No, we don't have time to get into it. Just read Jake Tapper's poem about why it's a Christmas movie and a story. Uh, there's just there's just too much to get to today. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. I really want to get into Kyrie talking today, or I guess it was yesterday now. Um, we didn't have time because of football yesterday, but the college football playoff rankings are out and people are incredibly angry. Uh, so in case you missed our discussion earlier, I'll basically sum it up for you. People are so mad. They just want the computers back. <laughs> they just they're just done. Uh, because the people who follow this very closely uh, literally are saying, why are we even looking at metrics? Why are we looking at criteria? It's clear that they've just decided who they like and they're going to stick with it regardless of what happens week in and week out. The biggest ones for that Cincinnati, Florida, USC, um, a handful of teams that really have a, a bone to pick with the committee. And Courtney, I mean, that's partly why they do this, right? It's just a bunch of content. It's just us talking about and arguing about this. In the end, the only ones that matter are the last rankings. Um, But uh, that doesn't mean that we won't, you know, tire ourselves out arguing beforehand. True. And I I honestly, I don't mean to be a skeptic here. I don't see the top four changing all that much. Mm -hmm. I really don't. I mean, unless... I mean, Big I was looking at a potential title games. Yeah. yeah, in the title game, if, if Alabama could really fall out of number one, if Florida just beats the brakes out of them in the SEC championship game, or what about Iowa State if they beat Oklahoma? What happens there? Because would then Notre Dame have to lose and Clemson? I don't know. I mean, there's just it to me. It feels set. Like it feels completely set. And and like you mentioned. It just kind of feels like all of the criteria, which seems to change from week to week, doesn't really add up. I mean, you have multiple two-loss teams in the top ten, and that just doesn't feel like a fair field, Um, especially with Florida's loss, you know, where they dropped one spot after losing to an unranked LSU team, a team that they shouldn't have even been hanging around with, and where Georgia is this year. I don't know. I'm not thrilled with it, but I also understand, like, you can't really – criticize the committee that much just given all the unprecedented nature of the stuff they've had to go through in the college football season but I get people's frustrations because it just kind of feels like they cherry-picked who they want at the top and and who they want to keep in the top 10 this whole time 
Yeah. Right? And then they make excuses by moving other teams into positions where it looks like the win over that team was bigger than might have been because it reinforces their belief about the teams at the top. Uh College football playoff talk will, of course, uh, be happening all week before the games this weekend and the conference title games. Uh, Kyrie talk is what we wanted to do yesterday. We ran out of time. So I want to play a little bit of sound. This is after Kyrie avoids speaking to the media on multiple occasions. He finally sat down yesterday. Big smile on his face, used media members' names, told them what great questions they were asking. Here's a little bit of what he said, including explaining the term he used in an Instagram live story, pawns, uh, maybe just a regular Instagram story, uh, saying that he doesn't waste his time with pawns. His voice is too worthy of that. Like I said, the focus is on what's going on in the task here, you know, my job. And I wanted to make sure that that was clear. There are no distractions, nothing about dispelling anything, nothing about going back and forth, knowing about calling out one person or another, not even to refer to you guys as pawns, you know what I mean, or media. It's just really how I felt about the mistreatment of certain artists when we get to a certain platform of when we make decisions within our lives to have full control and ownership. You know, we, we, we go through the rigorous season. We, we do everything we're asked to do, you know, and, and we want to perform in a secure and protected space. Okay. So I want to just come out the front and say, Kyrie's done a lot of really good stuff. He advocates for really important social issues. He had prioritized the race discussions over the summer in a very smart and admirable way. He helped pay for the salaries of WNBA players who had to opt out and weren't going to be paid. But he's also someone who refuses to accept the consequences of his own words. He's someone who wants respect and is demanding respect, but disrespected Steve Nash before they ever even had a single practice. A two-time league MVP, a great player who knows better than Kyrie even what it means to lead a team, what it means to be great. And he, before they even meet for practice once, disregards and disrespects him. He wants to be seen as thoughtful and insightful and thinking at a higher level than everyone else, but he gives us word salad half the time, stuff that doesn't even make sense. And I can't tell if that's because he thinks he's smarter than he is or he's just a terrible communicator. But if you're a really famous athlete or an artist, as he put it, and you're paid accordingly and you get the perks of fame, one of the downsides is that you're not going to have full control and ownership and you're not always going to feel safe and protected. Those are the words. He said you should have full control and ownership of your art. You always feel safe and protected. People are going to think things about you. People are going to react to the things you say in ways that you might not appreciate. And you could be upset about it. You're human. I, that's how I felt about Kevin Durant and the burners. I actually said I understand why he'd want to get into some conversations as an average human and not have to always be the super famous guy and that his feelings would get hurt. But to point fingers all the time and never take accountability for how you contribute to it is exhausting. Kyrie Irving is asking us to focus on the basketball when he himself is the one who's talking about flat earths and the Illuminati and calling out LeBron and saying, finally, with KD, he has someone he knows can make the shot. The the countless examples are things he brings on himself, Courtney. And if you're not able to communicate well enough so that people don't misread what you're saying all the time, then maybe offer up less about those extraneous things and speak about basketball if that's the only thing you want people to focus on. First off, I wanted to punch myself in the eyeball after he referred to himself <laughs> as an artist yesterday. It's like, I read that, I'm like, oh, I'm so sensitive, I'm an artist. Like, don't don't, don't let me, you know, get out of my way, I'm moody. Like, just please, that word makes my skin crawl. You calling yourself as an artist? You are an NBA player. You are a high-profile athlete. You're one of the best athletes in the world. Be that. Like, you're not an artist. I'm sorry. That's just, that's my I, rant I, He could be day. an artist. I, I nope, mean, it's, nope, it sounds sorry, pretentious Sarah, and nope. annoying. 
no, no, no. But to, to your point, like there are consequences for your words and there's consequences to your actions. You don't show up to media day and you release some nonsense statement. You're going to get fined and then you can act all you know cranky about it. And obviously with the things that he said yesterday when he finally spoke, um, it just felt very disingenuous. And he blamed the whole thing, just to, to wrap it in a bow, the whole thing about the podcast, which he released during the finals, which was calculated. Don't tell me it's not. He blamed Clickbait Society for that. LeBron James knew who you were talking about, and you, he didn't, you didn't even name him by name. If LeBron's saying that he's talking about me very clearly, who am I supposed to believe? Kyrie's saying, oh, you guys are just taking what I'm saying and run with it? Or LeBron James, who's saying, yeah, he's talking about me. That's not cool. I didn't appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, you're so right. It's the intentionality of it, and then when the reaction isn't exactly what he wanted, it's to point fingers at other people for disrespecting him or not giving him a safe and protected space or uh, not respecting him as an artist. It's exhausting. And I know that he's a guy that a lot of people respect and think is smart and advocates for the right causes. I love that. But that doesn't excuse the rest of the behavior. And he's got to start taking accountability for it. And and, I guess speaking helped. We'll see how genuine it was. Coming up, a bombshell report about a Power 5 school under file. We'll get into it next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Welcome back to Spain and Fitz. Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz today on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're going to get back to some of the big news of the day, but there's a story we've been wanting to touch on on this show, and with our two hours, it's been tough to get to, and the latest update means it's uh, past time to really dig in. And joining us now to talk about it, USA Today columnist Nancy Armour, who is part of a team of reporters who's been reporting on a scandal at LSU that, frankly, has not gotten enough focus. Um, LSU knowing that officials at the school kept allegations against athletes in-house and didn't properly report them to Title IX and sort of left these victims uh, hanging in the wind uh, and to be further victimized by the presence of those around them uh, that had committed crimes. Nancy, thanks so much for the time. I want to start with kind of a bigger picture question. Whenever I see these stories, all I see is just the evil of prioritizing something over the well-being of athletes on campus. What motivation is there for these folks to hide these items, to not report, to not do what they've been told repeatedly? Is it? It's hard to just you know make it be about people being bad people. There's got to be more to it. I, you know, that's a great question, um, and thank you, by the way, for amplifying the story. We we appreciate it. Um, I I don't know if it's a combination of bad people. If people get so ingrained in being part of these institutions and they worry that, you know, um, actually acknowledging and handling sexual misconduct or dating violence complaints is going to reflect poorly on the school. In some cases, it's simply, um, you know, it's a very transactional um, decision that, you know, God forbid we should take our starting running back off the field or, you know, a, a wide receiver or, or somebody like that because, you know, we might lose a game or we might slip a couple spots in the college football playoff rankings. Um, so I think it's there are a number of decisions, none of which are defendable. Nancy, I remember reading the first article that came out a month ago tomorrow um, and just kind of going through piecing this all together. Drake Davis's name came up multiple points um, and all the victims and at least, you know, tying that in with what we knew about Darius Geis, stuff that you had been reporting on for a while. For those who haven't read the the new, the updated article, what is, I guess, the latest news peg there um, that's different maybe from your initial reporting? 
So there was a Title IX report in 2018. Um, a woman who worked in the football recruiting office, she was a student at the time, Khalees Richardson, um, filed a Title IX complaint against her boss in football recruiting um, because Khalees had told her boss, this woman, Sharon Lewis, in 2016 that Drake Davis had abused her. And Sharon Lewis did not do anything with it. And the 2018 Title IX report shows that Sharon Lewis acknowledged that she did not take cases to Title IX, that she reported them to another member of the athletic department. Um, the deputy, the guy who's the deputy athletic director at the time, he's now the executive deputy athletic director, also acknowledged that he did not take cases to Title IX. He took them to the same person in athletics. And the woman who was supposed to be the point person, Miriam Seeger, Admitted that when she was given Khalees Richardson's number, she called her, they played phone tag, and they never spoke. Um, so LSU's Title IX office knew that the athletic department was skirting school policies. There was no investigation done on that. There were no repercussions for that. And interim president Thomas Galligan acknowledged to my colleague Kenny Jacoby that they have not made any changes in the last two years, that there really have been no repercussions or no, um, you know, no, no, teachers, no, no changes as a result of this. One of the things you dug up was a 2018 letter to the staff from the athletic director at the time, Joe Aleva, telling his employees to report allegations of sexual misconduct to that senior associate athletics director, Miriam Seeger, that you spoke of, which is a violation. Um, they they yeah. are not allowed to have a middleman. They need to promptly report it to the actual Title IX uh, coordinator for investigation. What possible punishments could be upgraded, at least for the practice of not filing correctly? There may be a debate as to exactly how to handle complaints, but the very practice of merely at least alerting the right people about a complaint should be simple. Yes, it should be. Um, and it's, there have been, you know, the, the thing that blows my mind is Joe Oliva in 2016 had hired, um, a group to do, uh, training on how to handle sexual misconduct complaints and, and dating violence. He said publicly he wanted LSU to be the leader. This was in the wake of Baylor and Tennessee and Florida State, that he wanted LSU to be the leader in how these cases were handled. And then he turned around, as you mentioned, in 2018, and there was a similar email in 2016, and tells people in the athletic department to funnel complaints to someone in athletics. So you, you cannot be a leader in, in this space when you are specifically telling people to do the wrong thing and funnel complaints in, quite frankly, a manner in which ensures that they're going to be buried. And Nancy, do we know if there's a punishment right now for schools that are found to have done this? That we know that LSU, that there was a um, Department of Education complaint filed against them, um, the Office of Civil Rights. Um, it, it ended up being dropped because the woman no longer wanted to cooperate. Um, we don't know if there is anything ongoing, not, not that we've been able to find. Um, and, you know, it's we're at this weird part in, in Title IX that the Obama administration had strengthened reporting procedures, had strengthened penalties, and the Trump administration has walked back a lot of that. So, you know, in, to some degree, there's a lot of confusion for schools. They don't know what they're supposed to do. But the one thing everybody does know that you're supposed to do is you are supposed to report to Title IX. You are supposed to have 
you know, you are not supposed to allow the, you know, foxes to guard the hen house. The one thing that keeps sticking out to me uh, in this article, and you did a really cool flow chart of basically pointing out who's who and, and connecting names and faces, and I, I really appreciated that with the reporting. Um, Verge Osbury, who was the executive deputy athletic director, when someone came forward with an allegation about Drake Davis, it almost felt like he was trying to award himself plausible deniability because he's like, say no more, I don't want to hear about this, and then he directs mm-hmm. um, this, this, this woman who was assaulted uh, to, to someone else. We obviously see that happen a lot of different times, and people want to clear their name and not have blood on their hands, but how do these people still have jobs is my question. I, I don't know if that's just too vague, but it's just like I look at this flow chart of, of people, men and women included, um, and I know that they're obviously going to be undergoing some changes, and there's an interim executive vice president, CFO, whatever. Um, how, how, do, how are these people still employed when they clearly broke the law? That's a great question. And, you know, the the thing is, when Verge Osbury said, I don't want to hear anymore, he was also sitting on a text message at that point. Um, I'm not sure if I can. I think it might have been revealed in a police report at that time. But Drake Davis had texted him in April of that year. So we're talking five months, six months, basically, um, to say that he had beat a, a different girlfriend. And Osbury never reported that. He said, oh, Drake Davis said, I didn't mean that or that's not exactly what I meant. And so he gave him the benefit of the doubt Um, that that came out. um, And then he tells another woman, I don't want to hear it. He's since been promoted. Um, He is Mm -hmm. now the executive deputy athletic director. He's also the executive, um, uh, I think, vice president of external relations, I think, is his official title. Each of those jobs right now pays him $250,000 a year. Oof. So he's making $500,000 a year at LSU to not do his job. Wow. Uh, Nancy Armour, USA Today columnist with us here on Spain and Fitz. She wrote this story alongside Jessica Luther, who is fantastic covering this kind of stuff, and Kenny Jacoby. Uh, the latest is up on usatoday.com and um, – the link is up on my Twitter if you want to read it, including the original story as well. Uh, before we let you go, um, this has not gotten nearly as much attention as I thought, Nancy. Is this a case of you see what happens with Penn State, you see what happens with Michigan State, you see what happens with Baylor, and people start to just shrug at the idea of this kind of evil going on in our institutions? I, I think that's a great point. Um, you know, and even Kenny and Jess and I have talked about this, that, you know, when you cover sports, you kind of become conditioned to the fact that these types of things happen. Um, and we can't, we can't let that happen. You know, when, when stuff, you know, these, the women who we have named in our reporting, along with the, the many, many others who come to us, who, who we've not written about, um, their lives are, are never going to be the same. They are, they have been impacted for forever. Um, and we owe it to them as a society, I think, and, you know, us in the media to, to police this stuff to, you know, when we hear about it or when things don't look right or don't sound right to follow up and, and make sure to continue shining a light on it because it's not acceptable. And, and the, the thing is too, is that it's as unfair as it is to the women, we're not doing right by the men who are involved in this either, because at some point there will be. A, a, a price to pay. You know, we've seen it with, with Darius Geis and yeah. we're not doing anybody any favors by not keeping an, an eye and, and a spotlight on this issue. 
Yeah, I agree. And it and it is finding ways to make people continue to care about something even after the initial shock value of it happening somewhere uh, wears off. Nancy, thanks for the great work. Appreciate you coming on. Thanks for having me. Nancy Armour, USA Today columnist. Again, go read the full story about LSU and continue to be as angry when it happens somewhere as you were the first time you heard about it happening at a school because it is rampant. And the work of Jessica Luther and others uh, really will tell you that for years this has been going on without enough progress being made. It's Spain and Fit. Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin coming up. College basketball history could be made tonight. Also, you're helping Courtney figure out how to handle what could be a solo Christmas. It's coming up next. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Mind is blown by this tweet I just saw. At Freddie Campion, my wife just confessed that for her entire childhood, she thought Colonel Sanders' bow tie was his whole body. And now I can't stop seeing a tiny stick body every time I look at him. My mind is blown. Courtney, I have never once thought that Colonel Sanders had a tiny stick body. I always thought the bow was a bow. Can you confirm? I don't know if I've ever thought about that. And now I'm like racking my brain and I really can't process. This is check my menchies. I retweeted it. You could see uh, the bow that looks like a tiny stick body. Uh, It's always weird. It's kind of like when you hear a word and you're like, why does that word sound weird right now? Actually, have you been watching Ted Lasso? No, I have not. Because they had a whole bit where he all of a sudden is like, I said the word too many times and now it doesn't sound right anymore. Uh, yeah, that happens it to definitely me occasionally. looks like a stick body, like right? stu- stubby arms and like maybe it's like he's wearing a blue suit like this. Yeah. Is... Yeah. It's wild when all of a sudden you see something completely differently or you hear a word and you're like, oh, my gosh, I never thought about that before. Anyway, it's Spain and Fitz. We're getting really into linguistics tonight. Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin uh, filling in for Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're also getting into some women's hoops tonight because Tara Vanderveer and Stanford women's college basketball could be on the precipice of some major, major, major history tonight. The Stanford coach uh, is uh, is potentially going to take over the top spot. One victory tonight, and she will take over for the great Pat Summit for most wins. And um, she tied with a with a great win and had a moment of Fran Belibi, who you guys have probably seen highlights of. Uh, she had her first career dunk in their last victory that tied uh, Vanderveer with Pat Summit as the winningest women's coach in Division One history, 1,098 wins. Uh, they play again tonight, 9 Eastern on ESPN, I believe. Uh, you can watch the game um, and see if history is made. Uh, uh, ESPN 2 is where you can see the game. Pretty amazing and also sort of bittersweet, Courtney, because of Pat Summit having to retire before she would have were it not for the illness. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you wonder how much further she would have gone and how many more wins she would have racked up there at Tennessee. But this is a cool accomplishment. I mean, I've covered a few when I lived out in the Bay Area, I covered a few Stanford women's basketball games and they were dominant oh my god they were dominant they still are it's like it's a program I I wish we talked more about this just how good and how much WNBA talent is like funneled through that group Mm -hmm. and I mean she's done some incredible things plus she's an Indiana grad so obviously it means she's great people that's right uh Vanderveer yeah she doesn't get as much attention as you would think she had a great line that she attributed to her dad you don't win the Kentucky Derby on donkeys so giving a shout-out to all the players that she's gotten to coach and assistant coaches she's worked with and athletic directors who've hired her that have gotten her to this point. Uh, I also just saw that uh, their game, uh, the last game where she tied the record was against Cal, and the public address announcer there is named Matt Foley. And now I'm just, like, my brain is just running wild with uh, 
were it to be like, you're probably asking yourself, did she just tie the record for most wins? Because uh, whenever I see the name Matt Foley, that's exactly where my brain goes. Um, we asked earlier on the uh, Dr. Pepper Twitter feed, we asked our Spain and Fitz Nation to chime in with some possible suggestions for you if you indeed end up having a solo Christmas. First, before we get into those, uh, tell us one more time, regardless of whether you finagle away to see any family and friends, either way, you're spending Christmas covering the Vikings? Yeah, I have to work. The game, they play on a Friday game. They have a Friday game. And I remember when I saw the schedule come out in May, I was like, oh, this is awesome. <laughs> like, you know, we're totally really? going to have a vaccine by then, and it's going to be great. I'll be spending Christmas down in New Orleans with some of my friends that live down there and covering oh. the game on Christmas Day. And then it's like, yeah, we're not traveling. Um but no, I mean it's uh they play at three twenty. So how do you cover then? What do you do? You watch over our, all of our road games. Everybody at ESPN's NFL Nation, we've been covering them off TV. Most a lot of outlets are doing it this year. Newspapers and then you connect to the different. Zoom. Then we connect to the Zoom. Yeah, wow. that is how I have done. That's how I will wrap up uh, my final home game this weekend when they play the Bears. Your Bears, um, and then. There's two more road games. So, yeah, it's been a weird year because, I, like I mentioned on the show last week, like we've been cut out of media access, like in-person pra- in yeah. practice access. So it gets further and further away. And I know the NFL just sent out a memo tonight saying that no teams, you cannot make your players stay in a hotel and create your own bubble environment for the playoffs, which I think is going to be really, really crazy to see how they don't have any postponements or can like not obviously cancellations, but postponements come January. I felt like they were going to have a bubble plan set right. up by now. And that was me saying that like three and a half weeks ago around Christmas, like, you know, in November. or in, in And even if not so. a full bubble, at least what you just referred to, where it's sort of like a mini bubble at a hotel or something. And I guess I understand if it wasn't bargained beforehand, it would be hard to force that on players after the fact. But if they want to have playoffs without a real risk of teams not being able to go, it's going to be tough to pull off, really tough to pull off. Uh, Quickly, so if you uh, can cover from anywhere, though, in theory, you might be able to take your computer and and have a TV somewhere by family, and that would be the chance that you'd get to be uh, with loved ones? Potentially, yes. Potentially, yes. All right, well, we've got some solutions if that's not the case for Solo Christmas. In fact, uh, at Johnny B. Skoll uh, from the Spain and Fitz Nation, hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. Watch Christmas Vacation and Elf for 24 hours. Hit that nog. Christmas cookies, yes, please. Buy for yourself gifts. Wrap them yourself. Put tags from Santa on all of them and then sleep in heavenly peace. Uh, the last part sounds like you died. I don't know why. I just I'm worried about that last bit. Uh, just sleep peacefully. Let's just go with that. I think heavenly peace. That, I'd might be, be I'd too be deep asleep, asleep by like I'd be asleep yeah. by like doing the third thing on that list. It's a whole lot. Yeah, Staying up is, for 24 hours watching it's the same two movies. All right, how about this one instead? At the Ken Childs uh, from Spain and Fitz Nation, hit us up on the Dr Pepper Twitter feed with this. He said, "I've done a lot of solo holidays in my time. Personally, I still make a huge blowout meal for myself. Crank up some music." For Kitchenoki, while making it, do all the holiday things I would otherwise do. Just because I'm solo doesn't mean I can't celebrate appropriately, which, of course, leads to the obvious question. What is your number one Kitchenoki song? I usually just have whatever's on my Spotify playing. Okay, what's your number one karaoke song, then? I'm not good at karaoke. I'm not going to play into this. Wow. Because that I'm was terrible defensive. at it. I'm terrible at it. That was so it. defensive that I imagine that you had me. an extremely bad experience. Yeah, in I eighth grade. Lucky. And I'm not going to do the Backstreet Boys again, what Sarah. Oh, Backstreet Boys? What song? What song? It was, Want it I Want It That Way. It was at Molly Hennessy's <laughs> birthday party in eighth grade. And we'll met at, I don't even remember the name of like the family <laughs> style restaurant. Was, 
It was it was miserable actually. Uh, I will probably never do it again. Wow. I'm not, Dave, I'm really... not David Rose. I mean, the the scene in Shit's yeah. Creek where he did that, like that was fantastic. But first, I am first of all, not that was going Patrick. to be doing that. I was no, Patrick was... who was singing. No, it was David Rose when he was singing Mariah when Stevie oh, okay, was on okay, the okay. date yes, with yes. the hotel Of course, guy. of course. I was thinking about when they had the uh, Rose apo- Apothecary uh, moment, which is one of the all-time Oh, that was beautiful. That, that, touched my, of all time. that touched my very Simply cold the best. soul. So good. Love uh, at Jalen Rose Bat, I think, nailed it. Number one, Big Breakfast, Pancakes, Eggs, and Bacon. Number two, Holiday Movie Like a Christmas Story or Die Hard. Then watch NBA Christmas on ABC. And then call friends and family Chinese takeout for dinner. Woo! Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.